0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 Community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. One of the things that I think is a big barrier to change for us is that we are very emotional creatures, and so we have very real emotions that pop up in us, and the, mo- the emotions that we associate as negative, so things like anger or fear or sadness, we-, we don't often do the work of like sitting in those for a minute and go like, what is driving my anger, what is driving my sadness, what, you know, we don't want to stay there because we don't like those emotions. So consequently, we have the emotions, we're an angry guy, or we do whatever, you know, we fly off in rage. We justify them, and then we just kind of tuck them away until they pop up again later. We don't ever deal with the root of the thing, so consequently, we don't ever change. Now that's true of anger, sadness, and a lot of things, and I think it's definitely true of the emotions uh, around fear. When we are afraid, we don't like being afraid, and so we don't dig down into the root of the thing. And so what I wanted to do in this series called Facing Your Fears is, is, is look at the things that make us scared. Because a lot of us are scared. We're, we're very afraid right now. Um, uh, and I, and I, I think, I don't know how you track this, I'm sure someone has figured out like national level of fear, like the GDP or something. We have the gross fear product or something we've got going on. I, I think it's high for people. And, and, and that's why I wanted to get into this series, to really really look at our fears things that, that, that are driving us to be scared right now, and and kind of put them under a microscope and go, what is the root of that? What is, what, what is going on underneath that thing that we're, that we're scared of? Um, in some extreme cases, we are scared animals. <laughs> we are hiding in our homes, afraid of other people, afraid of work, and, and afraid of everything except a Zoom call, and those are no fun. Um, but really, more likely in America, that fear doesn't show up as scared animals. It shows up as this, like, just under the surface, low-level anxiety. If there's, like, a feature of modern American life, it's, it's kind of that. We're, we're walking around uh, slightly anxious about the world, and, and for, some, for some of us, it's it's from the moment you wake up till the moment you go, go to bed at night, you're, you're, you're feeling that. And so I want to talk today about a, a particular type of fear. We're doing different kinds of fear in this series, and, and I want to talk about one uh, that's a little bit subtle. Um, this is a fear that actually has shown up in my life, and, it, and as we get into it, I think you'll see where it shows up in your life too. Um, but it's not one you think about. Some some of the obvious fear of heights or fear of dying or those sorts of things might be a little more obvious. Um, this one is a little more subtle, and it's basically um, scarcity. Uh, it's the fear of not having enough. Now this shows up all over our lives. It, it actually shows up. We don't say I'm, I'm struggling with scarcity right now. We say. Uh, around money, we might say something like, oh, what happens when, what if I don't make enough money? What happens if I run out of money and I still have rent to pay? Or what if I, you know, we. so it might show up there as a fear of not having enough, but it's, it's a lot of things. It's it's not having enough money, it's not having enough time, I'm, not, I'm worried I'm not going to get that done, it's the anxiety around that. Not having enough relationship, I'm, I'm worried that you're going to leave me or that we're going to have a, a split in our relationship, like that shows up. It's any of the things that you can think, I don't have enough of this or I'm about to run out of this, uh, that, that's where the scarcity mindset shows up and that's where our fear really kicks up. Now this actually shows up in the scripture because um, it's not new, it's not new. the the fear that you're going to run out or you're not have enough of something that that's been going on since the beginning of time, especially in a culture in the ancient world where, you know, you, you've got to work to, to, to even eat and, and you don't have refrigeration. And, and so there's, there's a, there's an everydayness to your life of like, I better work today and get food today. And and so the the fear that you could die is, is real because there's not a lot of protection against the natural elements. Like, It's a big deal. And so the fear of I'm not going to have enough, I'm going to run out, was in the ancient world too. And Jesus tells this parable that ostensibly is not about that. It's not about scarcity, but I think it brings up some good points about scarcity while making a bigger point about God and his kingdom. So I want to I talk to you uh, this parable. Um, it's, it, it, it's about some people, uh, a master who hired some people to work for him in, in, in his vineyard. And so it's in, found in the book of Matthew. The, the writer Matthew recorded this for us in chapter 20. We're going to put it up on the screen and you can uh, follow along. It says this. For the kingdom of heaven... Is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Okay, um, a lot of times when Jesus would tell a parable, and now he, he tells us what it's about. He he's comparing this scenario he's about to lay out to the kingdom of heaven. So the idea that we would be followers of Jesus and kingdom of heaven does not mean a place you go to when you die. It is that, but it's much more than that. It's about your life now, your entrance into the kingdom of heaven now, how we live now, and and that continues on through eternity. And he says, okay, that, coming to God, being in relationship with him, that kingdom of heaven thing is like, and he compares it to, master of a house who goes, hires laborers for his vineyard. Now, when you would hear a parable, you would think, as a a Jewish member of the audience that originally heard this, you're thinking, okay, who's who in the parable? Who are the laborers? What's the vineyard represent? Who's the master? This one would be pretty easy, right? The master of the house, guess who that is? It's God, right? God's like the master of the house. He's in charge, he has this thing he wants done, and he goes out and hires laborers in the vineyard. That's people like you and me, people who are going to maybe be hands and feet and kind of go do the work. So he hires them and he agrees to hire these people for a denarius a day. That makes sense because a denarius in that day is equivalent to a day's wages. So you go, you to, he goes out in the morning, finds some people hanging out, probably at Lowe's or something, and he says to them, Do you want to come work for me? And they're like, sure, let's go work. And they they get hired, and they go work for the day, and they get paid a day's wages. Makes sense so far. Then what happens? Verse 3. And going out about the third hour, so this is more like 9 a.m., so he went probably out at 6 a.m. for the first group, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And they said to him, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired them. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. All right, a couple interesting things about this parable that I noticed. I don't don't know what jumps out at you, but a a couple things. The first group, he said, I'll pay you a day's wages. The second group at the ninth hour, he told them, whatever's fair, I'll give it to you. And then after that, we see no record of any discussion about how much people are getting paid for the work. That seems weird to me. Like, hey, I'm going to come work for you. Hey, would you come work in my vineyard? Wouldn't you ask, how much are we getting paid? Well, not if you're desperate, you wouldn't, right? You'd be like, oh, you have a job? Yes. How much do I get paid? I don't care. Because in that culture, if you don't work, you don't eat. So the, the fear of not having enough food is real, and it shows up every day. Your stomach makes that thing, right? You're just like, ah, I'm not going to have enough food. And so the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour, they've been there all day, and they're like, yo, I'm really hungry. And this guy says, hey, why don't you come work in my vineyard? And they're like, sold. I don't even care how much. just If I can eat today, that'll be great. So it actually makes a little bit of sense that they don't negotiate the price, right? Um, because, because that fear that they have is real. But then there's a twist to this story. Because we would assume, because this is the way business works, the guys who have been there all day, you pay them a denarius, a day's wages. The guys who've been there a little less time, you pay them less. The guys who got there the 11th hour, they get paid just a little bit. Because we know business, right? And they know business too. You pay people for the amount of time that they put in. Makes sense. Like, it's fair, it's right. We all know this. You work three hours, you get paid for three hours. You work 12 hours, you get paid for 12. We get it. But plot twist shows up. Verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Okay? And, then, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Okay, that's weird. The people who got there last to work, who showed up at the end of the workday, put in a solid hour of hard work, you know, probably took a coffee break in there, you know, whatever. Like, they showed way late, and he's like, pay them how much? Pay them like they had been there all day. That's, there's a lot of words we might use to describe that. That is bad business, right? That is unfair Right? Why would you... They didn't earn that. They don't deserve that. It's, it's just weird. Now, if you're one of the workers who came early in the day, and you see the other guys getting paid first, and they walk into the foreman, and the foreman hands them a denarius, and they walk out like, yeah, like I just, look, like, you know... You, I, I wonder what you're thinking, right? Because you're like, yo, I've, I've actually been here all day. Probably what you're thinking is, oh... They got a denarius? Oh, I am. I'm getting way more than that. Because they were here for like an hour and they got a denarius. I'm, gonna, I'm about to get paid, right? It's like how you're thinking about it. So they probably assume they're getting more. Verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. See, I didn't just make that up. The scripture says it, guys. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. Let's we'll stop there for a second because this is where the heart is, is shown. They all got a denarius. How much did they agree to work for? Denarius. So they got what they said they would work for. But now it doesn't seem so great. Now it seems like they're getting kind of ripped off here. And this is where their heart was revealed. They are paid exactly what they were told they would be paid. But suddenly that's not good enough. You, you see what someone else is getting, and now it messes with your head. Or maybe more accurately we could say it messes with your heart. You know how this goes. I suppose we would call it something like envy. We, we recently bought a car in our house. We, we, we have transitioned out of the minivan phase of life. God bless it. It's over. <laughs> and we no longer have to have one of those. Um, so we sold it, and we bought another car. And we bought, like, one of the things the rest of you cool people have. You know, like an SUV kind of thing, right? So we buy this vehicle. Because once you get used to riding up high, you just want to ride up high forever. You don't want to be in a little car. So we buy this other vehicle. And here's the deal. This car is cheaper has way less miles than our van had on it, and we don't have any car payments on it, so we're now paid off. So, like, win, win, win. And my wife and I can go out on a date in it and not feel like people on a date in a minivan, like, oh, you know, like, you know, so whatever. So, like, so much win. So we get this car, and I'm like, this is awesome. Now, this car's old, okay? It's not a new car. It's 10 years older than our van. It's older, but has way less miles. I'm like, man, I am so winning right now of this car. But you know what happened? I had to go somewhere, and I borrowed a friend's car. And the car he let me borrow was the same car I bought, but 15 years newer. His car is amazing. It's like a spaceship. It has all of the controls and all of the leather and the buttons and all of the things. And it's the same car as mine, but just way newer. And it has like, I don't know, 10 miles on it or something. It's like incredible. And I'm driving this thing. I'm like, this is so awesome. So you know what that made me feel about the car that I just bought? I was like, oh man, I got, I feel kind of ripped off. Like he got something awesome. Why don't I get something awesome? Right? And a minute ago, I felt fine about it. But suddenly, it's not great you know how this goes. You've, you've experienced that before. I, I see it in the gym. I go to the gym and I'm lifting and maybe I set a personal record and, you know, they got all those mirrors in the gym. So you're just like, yes, like I set a record and like, you know, like the lift. And then some dude walks by and he's like, and you're just like, what? Come on. Can you just find another gym? Like why? I was feeling really good until I saw you, you know, like there's always that. And one way of saying that is that you're just envious. You just wish you had what someone else had. And, and I suppose that, that is a lot of what it is. But I think it also, if we're going to dig down into that, I think it's fear. I think it's fear that I'm not going to get enough, that I don't get what's coming to me, that I'm somehow missing out, I'm not getting what I deserve, And that fear is, I mean, if we just look at it sort of logically, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of stupid. My car is great. My friend's car being better than mine does nothing to me. It is not a problem. I'm glad he got a denarius at the 11th hour. I've been here all day, but still, like, it's fine. Why does it matter? It's a scarcity mindset. It's a belief that all the resources are finite, that I'm, that I, and I need to get mine and get what's coming to me. And, and that's, that's underneath, that, uh, underneath that anxiety. There's, there's a fear there that, that when someone else wins, I lose. You getting something good means I can't have. And that fear sort of shows up. Stephen Covey, who wrote the book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, describes it this way. Most people are deeply scripted in what I call the scarcity mentality. They see life as having only so much, as though there were only one pie out there. And if someone were to get a big piece of the pie, it would mean less for everybody else. The scarcity mentality is the zero-sum paradigm of life. People with a scarcity mentality have a very difficult time sharing recognition and credit power or profit, even with those who help in the production. They also have a very hard time being genuinely happy for the success of other people. I like that. It's the idea that we are looking at so many things in life when we are afraid, and we have that scarcity mentality. We are looking at so many things in life as if it's a pie, which pie is great, so I understand that, Um, but it's a it's a zero-sum paradigm. It's If you win, I have to lose for you in order to win. And my personality, I like to win. I'm one of those, whatever, when you take those, like all those personality profiles, I'm the one that likes to win. This goes for board games. I'm sorry about my intensity if you've ever played one with me. I'm sorry about that. And, and all the way up, I, I like to win. So I relate to this. There's a zero-sum mentality that if you win, that means it's not good for me. I'm losing. I'm missing out on something. And it's, it's actually worse than zero sum because that just sounds like we get back to zero. But I, I, when, when, I, when I give into that scarcity mentality, I actually go into a negative number. I go to this negative place because not only it's like you won, I lost, it's you won, I lost, and now I hate you. Like I don't, because you you're something better and your success means my Failure. And this shows up for us. It's, 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 a, it's a fear um, and it's toxic to our souls. We, we become afraid that, that there's only one pie and I'm only going to be able to get a small slice, and what's going to happen if I don't get a big, a big enough slice? This shows up for people at work. Some other company lands a customer that you wanted, and you get in that scarcity mentality, what am I going to do? I didn't get the customer. And instead of thinking about the almost infinite number of customers you could go out and get resourceful and creative and go out and try to get something else, you think about what is lost and what you didn't get, that mentality of there's a limited resource and I've got to get it. This shows up for people um, in all sorts of industries. It's not just business or sales. It shows up for pastors. It shows up for um, Colleges—it shows up all over the place. We we get afraid that your win means my loss, and we think there's just this finite supply of, of everything, and it's and it scares us. I, I think for me, the scarcity mentality shows up in marriage. When my wife and I fight, and sometimes we do, um, and when we when we argue and disagree strongly about something, honestly, sometimes I feel like if she wins, that means I lose and I don't want to lose. I'm, I, I'm losing ground here. I'm giving something up. This isn't going to go well. She's going to win. But, I mean, if you flip that, if I win, that means she has to lose, and that's not going to be great for her, but we rarely think about that. We think in scarcity mentality. Your winning this will be my loss. I don't think about possibilities. I don't think about abundance. I don't think about win-win scenarios. It's all just win-lose. And that fear shows up all over the I think if we dig down into the scarcity mindset, we will see fear. That I'm afraid. I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to run out of love. I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to run out of all that. And and the fear that we have is an emotion. And it kicks up in us. And it is real. Emotions are real and they are important. But emotions are driven by beliefs. They're driven by, I believe this thing and then it kicks up this emotion in me. And, and I think the belief behind the scarcity mindset fear, the belief is God will not deliver. There's a, there's a lack of hope in a scarcity mindset that, that things could be better or that there's new possibilities. There's a lack of hope that drives that fear. There's a lack of trust. God will not show up for me. I have to do this myself or else. Lack of hope, lack of trust, lack of faith where we think, if I don't get what I need, if I don't go out there and get my slice of the pie, it's going to be a disaster. And when we believe that, aren't we basically saying, God can't make this okay. Whatever it is, God can't do this. He can't fix it. He can't make it better. Isn't that basically what we're saying? We'll listen to what Jesus teaches in the parable as it continues on. Verse 11 again. And, and, receiving, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? I hate when, I'm, when, I, when I so identify with someone in the parable and they're like the bad guy, you know? Because for sure I would be there like, yo, it's hot out here. And we worked all day. Why would you give those people who showed up like a minute ago the same price you gave me? That's not cool, master guy. Not cool. And, and, and his point would be, I give people what I want. I'm giving you exactly what you said you would work for. Nothing's changed. Our, our arrangement has not changed. I'm also being really generous to these people. Are you begrudging my generosity? And it's the scarcity mindset you blessing them means somehow I am not going to be blessed. I'm it's like, no. Me blessing them means you, get, you can be blessed too. Like, you get to get in on this. I think there's several principles at play at this. That, that I, because I think this parable teaches us something about scarcity and the fear that drives it. But I think it also teaches us just something about the kingdom of God and who God is. And his character. Because if we're going to trust him more to get out of our scarcity mindset, we need to understand him better. Here's something we need to know about God. Number one, God is not fair. He is gracious. God is not fair. He is gracious. From childhood, almost as, as soon as we're able to talk, we can start articulating, that's not fair. Wait, that's not fair. Because we think that the math works a certain way and it all has to add up and I get what I deserve, and you get what you deserve, and that's basically it. And one thing we can learn from this parable is God isn't playing those rules necessarily. He's not trying to be fair. He's trying to be gracious. Specifically, Jesus is talking about when it comes to entrance in the kingdom, when it comes to being God's child, following after him, God is not going to just give you what you deserve. He's going to go beyond that and be generous and be gracious. He is full of grace. Which doesn't mean, he's, doesn't mean justice, it doesn't mean you get what's coming to you, it means you get better than what you deserve. It is, it is, a, is a powerful teaching of, of the scriptures. This means when you follow God now, if you give your life to Jesus today, there is a benefit to that now. The kingdom begins now. You, you uh, have purpose in your life, you are given that there, there will be purpose, there's meaning, there's, there's a story of which you are a part. You, you get a grand narrative of history. You understand that history is going somewhere. You understand your identity because God formed you, created you, and gave it to you. You will understand those things. You get a spiritual community as you are connected to the church where you have people who will pray for you and love you and, and be like family to you, which is important to all of us because our, not all of our family relationships are great. It is good to have people to walk with through life. You get all of these things when you come to Christ and, and follow after him and enter in the kingdom. Yes, you get heaven when you die. You get eternity with God in paradise where there's no more tears, no more sorrow. But that's not like, the, that's the icing, man. Like that's, that's later, that's not what we're, we're focused on. Yes, I've got hope off in the future about, and it matters for death as we'll talk about next week. But even in the here and now, you get good things. You get the blessing. You get a reward uh, in, in, here, here and now. Um, and you get that gift if you come to him today or if you come to him 10 years from now. Um, or if, you're, if you come in at the 11th hour. Uh, God has a generous blessing for all of you. Um, and and it's, not, it's not based on how good you've been or or how, how, bad, or how bad you've been. Um, he evens the playing field with, with his love and, and graciousness. I, I, think, I think if we're honest, this is a struggle for us. This concept is a struggle for us. Because the idea we have in our head is fairness. Um, what we want to believe is that the way God works, and consequently the way the world works, is that good people get good stuff. Bad people, you know what they get? Bad things. They get coal in their stocking from Santa. Because they're bad. We know how this works. You're bad, you get bad results. Good people should get the good results. And so we struggle with this idea, this parable, because it's like, how come I get the same blessing from God as the bad people? How come? I mean, they were like lazy. They hung out all day and they only worked for an hour. How come I'm getting the same blessing? And that's a struggle for us. Like, I think we like the idea that God loves us. God loves you and, and, and cares about you? We, we, we like that idea, but what if God also loves and cares about your ex? What if God loves and cares about the person who burned it down pretty badly with you? How comfortable are you with that? No, that's not. That kicks up stuff in us, right? There's, there's fear that comes up there. No. God can't love that person. That person's terrible. They can love me because I'm okay, but not that person. They're They're terrible. And we sit there and we basically say, I worked all day for my denarius. God, why don't you pay me what I deserve? There's a name for that. It's called self-righteousness. God loves me because I deserve it, because I worked hard all day in the heat for it. And the scandalous part about Christianity is it teaches us that God's rules do not work that way. He loves you in spite of the stuff you've done. God knows your heart, your character, the things you've done in your past that you're not proud of. God knows and sees all of that. The stuff you try to hide and go, I don't want anyone to know this about me because I have an image to maintain. God knows all of that stuff and he loves you anyway. And, and he loves you in spite of the bad things you've done. And here's what's crazy. God loves you even in spite of the good things you've done. Weird, right? Right? But the Apostle Paul will will say in the New Testament that all of his righteousness was filthy rags before God. All the good things he did to try to prove himself to God, he's like, no, that's not what matters. Uh, It is God's gift of of love and, and generosity towards us. He pays us what he wants out of his love and generosity. Now, there's the other side of the coin that people struggle with. If you are late to the game, if you come to Christ late, for a lot of people, they struggle with this idea of God's generosity not because they're self-righteous and feel like they've earned it, but because they feel like they're so bad. And I meet people like this in church all the time or in culture all the time. Ooh, I can't come to God. I can't follow Jesus. I can't be in a relationship. I can't do the church, faith, God, Christian thing because I've done X, Y, and Z. I've done all these things. I'm a bad person, and you don't want me there. And I've had all these things in my past, and it's not good. And you may feel that way. You may feel like, man, I've, I've super blown it. Like, I've been, I've been pretty bad. And if God knows all that stuff, like, this, that's really uncomfortable for me. Um, but you should also hear this too. Um, God's not playing fair. He's playing generous and gracious. Our Heavenly Father, we learn from this parable, is recklessly generous towards us. So that's one thing. Second thing, look at the verse again, verse 15. Let me add the tag to the end of this. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, he says, or do you begrudge my generosity? And then Jesus tags it with this line. So the last will be first and the first last. Number two, God upends the pecking order. God upends the pecking order. Last will be first, the first will be last. He doesn't tell us that so we can game the system. Like if, 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 if it's, let me love God and kind of get in there and be in early so, like, I get the best, the best gifts because I was there, you know, before, before God hit his IPO, I was there, I bought in early, like, I'm an early, I'm an early adopter, therefore I win, and, and he goes, no, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be like that, and he's not telling us this so we can upend the system and go, oh, okay, last first first, last, cool, all right, I'll come in Late. I, I'll, I'll I'll come to God late in life, uh, right right before I die, like as if you could predict exactly when that's going to be. I'm going to come in late, and then and then I will be like number one for God. No, that's that's not the point. Um, he he, God's looking for people who are, and you see throughout Scripture, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So He's looking for people who are humble, no matter when they come to Him. Um, and, and, and so yeah, you, we don't want to be proud, we want to be humble, and and God rewards that. Now, how does this relate to our fear of um, not having enough? Uh, I think I'm tempted to hear Jesus say, well, you, you know, you, you should be humble, and, and I'll go, okay, well, then I'll just be humble again. I'll, I'll be humble then, and, and I'll win, and I'll just go, humility's good, that's the thing I should be, I'll, I'll just do that. But maybe the bigger lesson that we need to get out of this is... Um, that we don't have to be afraid of losing or of things not working out my way because Jesus teaches that God doesn't see things the way I see them. The, The scarcity mindset says, I have to have this work out a certain way. If it doesn't, I'm in trouble. And one of the things we learn here is God doesn't see it that way and doesn't work that way. And even if you blow it and it doesn't go the way you want it to or if your prayer wasn't answered the way you want it to, God can still bless you and can still work in that situation. This is why I think God doesn't answer prayers the way we want. Like, if I could lay out my prayers from the beginning of time and say, God, they would sound a lot like, God, give me this, and then this, and then this. God, don't give me this, or this, or this. And here's some people I know, and they don't want this, and they asked me to pray that they wouldn't have this, and that. Like, that's how my prayers would sound. Like this vending machine thing. If I put the coin in, God spit out the candy, and then, like, I don't want that one, I want this one. Like, because I think I know what's best for me. Don't you think you know what's best for you? Like, I think I got this. If God would just show up the way I want him to, then I will get what I want and everybody's happy here. It doesn't work like that. The truth is, if I, if I had gotten everything I wanted that I've ever asked for and not gotten everything I didn't want, I would be a monster. It's actually... When God allows me to get things I don't want, or when God doesn't take things away from me that I wish he would, that drives me tor- towards reliance on him and humility. It's actually in the painful things that we grow. It's in the suffering that we mature. And those are exactly the kind of things you would pray not to have. No pain, no suffering, no sorrow. Please God, take it all away. Give it to someone else, not to me. But those are exactly the things that help us grow. If I got everything that I wanted, I would not have grown. God does not do what we expect. He upends the pecking order and and changes the rules on us, and that's actually a good thing. And then finally this, God always has more for you. I think the fear of scarcity, the, the scarcity mindset, the fear is, What if money runs out? What if time runs out? What if relationship runs out? And the truth is, uh, God is the God of abundant resources. And he has more for you. And I don't know why people don't understand that. I I almost feel like we think God doesn't love us or something. I, I, I saw a professor recently at a Christian college and, and she said, um, this is the time in the semester where I have to teach all of my first-year students that God loves them and, and actually convince them so they can believe it. And I, and I hear that, I'm like, how would Christian college students not know that God loves them? Like, that's insane. Why does she feel like every year she has to convince them of this? Well, maybe because they've gone to churches where they learned that God's kind of angry at them or that God just hates all these things and if you feel like you're in any of those things, you're terrible and all, like maybe they've gotten that message, right? And they've not understood the love of God that comes along with, you know, with, with, with that and, and, and they, they haven't really grasped that. It's surprising to me because when I think of college students today or, or, or young people today, I'm like, did you not learn from this guy on the comics? Didn't this... Didn't this talking vegetable tell you in your childhood that you are special and God loves you very much? Like, I think he started every episode with that. Like, you, how do you not know? We've internalized and we've become fearful and we've forgotten that, that we are loved by God and that he has more for us. What if it's true that God sees you and knows you and still loves you? I think that would be liberating for us. It might liberate us from our fears, or at least this kind of fear. The idea that God loves us, the idea that God even likes us, the idea that God is for us. So when we're tempted to be afraid, we have to remember that. Jesus, I think, sums up that scarcity stuff, the stuff we're afraid of. And and, and just says what what are you doing why are you doing this and, and points us back to his heavenly father he does it in his famous sermon on the mount matthew chapter 6 listen to what he says therefore do not be anxious fearful right do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love that principle. And he just goes to the the stuff of life, food, drink, clothing. And he's like, why are you you so worried? Why are you fearful that you're not going to have enough of what you need? God knows you need that, and he'll take care of it. And he'll make sure that you have what you need. Don't freak out when you don't get everything that you want. Now, you may nod your head and you may go, That seems true. It seems right. But the challenge will come this week when the money runs out, when the job is on the line, when the relationship seems strained, when the friendship is hurting. The challenge comes right in that moment. And, and maybe the next step for us would be why don't we memorize Matthew 6 31 through 34, the one I just put up on the screen. Why don't we, why don't we dive into that and go and, and meditate on it and go, I need this. I need to be reminded to seek God first and then he will add all the things. Memorize that now before the moment comes when you want to freak out. And I, and I think Owning, learning that, owning it, it, it it'll, it'll drive out that scarcity mindset from inside of us. Let's pray. Lord, we are fearful, um, and, and strangely enough, we're fearful in, in one of the most... Um, healthy, wealthy, prosperous cultures in the history of the world and yet we can still tend towards anxiety and fear and and because those things underneath, it's a lack of trust, it's a lack of hope, it's a faithlessness. And so God, build our faith, build our trust, um, help us to recognize in the moment when that fear is creeping up on us and help us to fall back to you and, and to, to honor you and, and to lean into your truth, and your word. God, if anyone in the room feels not loved by you, I pray this is a turning point. I pray that they understand it and they know that you know who they are and you see who they are all the way to their core from, from before they were born and you love anyway. In spite of what we've done, in spite of the good or the bad, um, you, you love us. I, th- I thank you for the truth of that and I pray we really own that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.